All right. Welcome back once again, everybody. I'm Don Seifert. It's the Dr. Treefruit and Don podcast. It's Friday, June 2nd, our uh, first first podcast in June. I'm here with Dr. Carrie Peter. Say hi, Carrie. Hello. Dr. Greg Krawcheck. Say hi, Greg. Hello. And Dr. Jim Shoup. Say hi, Jim. Hi. All right. So, uh, Jim, since you and I were just talking about this, I'll uh, I'll have you go first. Um, I've gotten a number of folks talking to me about uh, thinning and pulling their hair out and just being all around worried about, about their fruit crop right now. Um, so do you want to talk about our thinning conditions right now? And then I'll, I'll ask the two major questions that folks have. Okay. Well, it's been a very, very challenging year for, for chemical thinning and, and, uh, very frustrating to, to kind of do your part of the process and, and have mother nature not cooperate but we've had this extraordinary long string of cool sunny weather which is the very definition of difficult thinning conditions this there's abundant sunshine the trees are conducting photosynthesis and so their their carbohydrate reserves are being strengthened daily and then the cool weather lowers the level of respiration and uh, the spending of those carbohydrate reserves. And so you end up with uh, trees that are robustly able to resist uh, the chemical thinners that you're, that you're trying to put on and adjust things. So we don't, we don't have any uh, temperature and, and sunlight stress. And so there's, there's nothing for us to play off of. And so you know, the, the chemical thinners have just not worked the way we would like them to work. So if I am on my second round of thinning and, and looking towards my third round, uh, when when do I need to absolutely get another round of product on? And let's say I've used something relatively uh, light in, in, say, carbaryl. Uh, what, what should I move to next? Yeah. Well, it's always a it's always kind of a, a a tough question to answer. I mean, if if you're hoping to be able to judge the amount of response you got from the from the earlier applications, it usually is at least ten to fourteen days before you begin to really see a solid response. Um, if you have a really sharp eye after a week, you may be able to detect differences in fruit growth rates. And of course, if you're if you're using the the Dwayne Green fruit measurement method, you can you can sometimes get a a rather firm answer in about seven days after the application of what's going to go and what's going to stay. So the the fruit that's going to stay is continuing to grow. Growing fruit is setting fruit, and uh, fruit that has uh, responded to the thinner, the first response is it stops growing, and it takes about a week until until you can really see that with the naked eye. Um, and so if you really want to see a response, you know, you're probably waiting 10 to 14 days. However, um, once fruits get out much past 20 millimeters, the clock is starting to tick very loudly. And uh, you oftentimes need to make a guest and make a decision to go ahead and thin, even though you're not sure uh, what happened the first time. And then this is where you know, are you bold or, or are you cautious? And, uh, you know, and, and so if you're, if you're looking at a lot of fruit and my gosh, I don't see any of it's, you know, looks like it's going to respond. Uh, you know, you might need to go again. Um, fruits 
become pretty much unresponsive somewhere around 24 or 25 millimeters for diameter. You can apply a chemical thinner, uh, ethophon or carbaryl or the new chemical uh, acid, um, you know, after 24 millimeters and uh, possibly see some response, but it will be a muted, reduced response compared to what you would have got with a more timely application. So if you, you know, if you're out to 20 millimeters and they're growing a millimeter a day, it's, you know, it's pretty much decision time. Um, the one caution I would give is uh, for anybody that's tempted to throw down their pen and pencil and run outside and thin right now, that I, I don't know if I would apply a, a stress creating chemical thinner in 90 degree. Uh, forecast. So might, you might want to wait till sundown tonight. <laughs> the temperatures drop back down in the 80s till you till you do anything today. But but certainly the next three or four days uh, look a little bit more moderate in the temperatures. And and uh, if you still have an opportunity to to chemical thin, I I think it's probably uh, yeah it's probably going to have to happen this week. Yep. Okay. So just as for folks who are really looking to like drill down and, and get their thinning practices uh, under control and, and really learn as much as they can, why is there such resilience to thinning once you get past that 20 millimeter mark? Yeah. You know, it's a, I don't know if we have an exact answer, but I, I have a theory that at that point, the, the ovules, the eggs, uh, the seeds, if you will, are, at that point are probably mature. And uh, uh, up until that point, it's a selective advantage for a fully grown apple tree that's bearing fruit to preserve that tree. And uh, so if there's a stress, uh, it'll shed the fruits and preserve itself. Whereas once they get to the point where they've got thousands and thousands of mature seeds, on the tree, then it's a selective advantage probably to keep uh, those seeds alive and maybe sacrifice the health of the of the parent tree. So uh, is that gospel? I don't know, but it sounds good. Seems reasonable to me. Um, I mean, I didn't know how much work was being done on that, if anyone was looking at that. but Yeah, I don't know. I, I can just tell you that at, at one, somewhere out there around 24, 25 to 30 millimeters right in that range, they switch over and they go from being responsive to being unresponsive. And the same thing is true with our first round of thinners. Our first round of thinners are our Maxell and our uh, Pomaxa and Fruit Tone, uh, NAA and 6BA and all of those things are, are effective uh, out to 17 millimeters or so. And then at that point, they just don't respond to them the way that you would like to see. And so it's a it's a matter of uh, the, the tree is changing, the physiology of the tree is changing, and uh, what you can do with it is changing too. So, you know, I measured some fruit this morning here in uh, southern Pennsylvania, and we're at 31 and 34 and 35 millimeters. And if that's your fruit size, um, then you're hand thinning. And I think it might be worthwhile for, for your listeners in that listening area to just point out that one of the first ones that I would get after would be Honeycrisp. And I would do that for a couple of reasons. First of all, Honeycrisp is a biennial variety. And we know that uh, the fruit buds for next year's crop are being formed right now. And uh, if we can get that competition off of the tree 
early enough, like now, uh, that will have positive uh, effects on next year's crop. And so you're you're spending money now for for preserving two crops, if you want to think of it that way, this year and next year. The other reason for getting after them kind of first, well, obviously there it's a high value variety and you would spend your time doing that first. But the other thing is, is that they have short stems. And uh, right now I think you can still get your thumb in between the fruits and the cluster and, and pop that uh, fruit off of the stem, which is desirable uh, way to thin. Uh, if you wait much longer, the fruits are going to grow to the size that uh, when you pull one off, you're going to risk pulling them all off. And uh, so it's uh, it's a, a little less frustrating to, to thin them while they're still small enough that you can separate them out in the cluster. But Honeycrisp with that short little stem, that's that's one to get after first. Then the next group that you would get after would be your small fruited high value varieties and gala would be the poster child for, for that group. And, and again, in this case, it's uh, their annual. You don't have to worry about return bloom. But but the sooner you get the competition out of there, um, the the larger the fruit will be. And with Gala, that's a, that's always a criteria. So that's uh, that's kind of where we're at in uh, the southern parts of the, the listening area. But uh, if you're up north of that and you have an opportunity to uh, – still do some chemical thinning. That's by far the most efficient way to do it. And, yep. Awesome. Thanks, Jim. Yeah. Super appreciate it. Yeah. I had uh, just a couple other comments, uh, unless you have another question for me. No, please. Uh, Go ahead. The, one, the other thing I was going to mention to people, this year we have uh, a new uh, chemical thinner in that late thinning region, uh, a seed, uh, which is a, a a formulation of uh, ACC, the precursor of ethafon. So when you're talking about late thinners, uh, carbaryl is uh, still an effective material at this stage. Um, ethafon has uh, always been the, the, the one that uh, we have used to, to, to get uh, significant thinning in, in the late thinning, rescue thinning window. And now we have this material called a seed which is uh, also uh, an effective thinner from, you know, 17 millimeters and up. And let's say you were a grower that really needed to do some thinning and it was really like, well, they're really big. They're 24 or 25 and I can find 30s and that. Um, a seed might be your Hail Mary if you're going to try it, if you can get your hands on some seed, uh, it, that might be the the material to try. And I'm saying that on based on very limited data, but I I did have one year where I did a timing study and put a seed on like every three days from petal fall to the ragged end, and and I got some mild thinning out at 30 millimeters. Uh, with a seed, so it it can have some activity late and. Um, you know, I, I used a seed on galas this year, but they were, they were in the 20 millimeter range. This was on the 23rd of May and uh, a seed really worked well on gala for me this year. I'm hearing, I'm hearing from Tom Kahn down in North Carolina state that, uh, a seed worked really well in their rescue thinning efforts, uh, as well. Uh, Tom, Tom, some of his growers put it on under some pretty high heat conditions and, uh, they noticed some leaf yellowing and leaf drop. And uh, uh, I think when you're using a seed uh, late in the season, uh, that's a kind of an expected uh, consequence of the of the thing. You may see some leaf drop and it's not really a, a, 
up till now, we've never seen it be a cause for worry. You, you lose a few little yellow leaves and, and uh, then the trees recover. And after a couple of weeks, you can't tell any difference, but except maybe you've got some thinning. So, you know, if you're going to try something really late, uh, a seed carburetal mix might be the thing to try. Awesome. Thanks, Jim. I think that's really good advice for folks. So great. Uh, Dr. Krawcheck, how are things looking when it comes to insect pests in the orchard? Well, that's a good question. Uh, they are kind of normal, finally. Saying this, it does not mean that we are out of the woods or anything like this. Um, after this up and down weather in April and May, at, at least early May, right now, we what we see in the traps in and by the way, in the orchards seems to become finally normal. However, the issue is that what we, the time we lost earlier on, we still have to be aware of it. And I said this probably many times already, but the models, all the previous experience from the previous years is not what we should use as a base to decide about controlling any of the insect pests that we want to control. Um, of course, monitoring in your own orchard is the best way to assess what is happening. However, I just, I, I just went uh, before our connection, I went to the NUA just to look what NUA is telling us. And it seems like newer models make sense from what we see in the orchard, at least for the Biglerville place. Hopefully this will be the same as long as we were able to establish a biofixes, you know, in any orchards around the Pennsylvania. However, um, models are, and we, we mentioned this many times before, Models are making assumptions that insects are in the orchards and they are required and, and the trapping data is providing very accurate reflection of what is going on in the orchard. And in most cases, it is correct. However, some orchards experience lower or higher pressure from different insects. Uh, if we don't know what numbers or what pressure of codling moth or oriental fruit moth or plum curculio or brown marmorated stink bug we have in the orchard, uh, utilizing models to decide about the sprays is not the way how we should go. That's really not IPM. If we just spray because model tells us that this is the time to spray. It's supposed to be combined. This decision should be really based on the actual observation in any particular orchard, maybe particular block or the area. Um, 
according to the models and assuming that the pressure is present in your orchard, it looks like for codling moth, uh, the first spray should be applied about a week ago. And the second application should be sometime late next week. I'm talking uh, June 9th, plus minus. Uh, I'm saying plus minus because the degree days are accumulated based on the minimum and maximum temperatures. And this thing might change and not necessarily reflect the forecast. But we were pretty good in assessing that the previous application should happen previous Friday. And then the next one is about two weeks later, about 300 degree days later for codling moth, which will happen sometime late next week. Saying this, this application may or may not overlap with the first application against oriental fruit moth second generation. Again, we're using a different thresholds and the degree day accumulation is not the same for codling moth as it is for oriental fruit moth. Uh, the good assessment for oriental fruit moth and even for a need to control oriental fruit moth, especially on peaches, is that this is a perfect time to go and look for the flagging on the freshly growing shoots. If you see flagging, in your peach block, it means oriental fruit moth is there, it was in control completely, and then you will have second and third generation. So this is the best indicator if something has to be done against oriental fruit moth. If you don't see the flagging on the growing shoots on peaches, it means you don't have oriental fruit moth in the numbers that really require any insecticide treatment. And this is important to, you know, to, this is also a very good assessment because, you know, this really tells you what is happening in your orchard, it, which it might be different than what model tells. Um, Plum curculio. Theoretically, and I hope practically, we are out of the woods with the necessity of controlling plum curculio. Uh, we are well beyond this 308 degree days that after petal fall that we're supposed to control codling moth, I'm sorry, plum curculio. Uh, theoretically, they should not cause any damage or any economical damage. Saying this, we still see them coming to the trap, but I don't think right now is, I mean, the time to control plum curculio already passed. Whatever happened, happened. There might be some new injuries happened, but I don't think they will be justifiable to spray specifically against plum curculio. Uh, scale insects, well, put the traps out for San Jose scale when you start seeing the flight, and it should be happening now or very close to now. Then when you see them in the traps, 10, 14 days later is the time to control them. Uh, woolly apple aphids. We have seen already fresh woolly apple aphids on the shoots of apples. Uh, this is the time when Movento will be a best option to control woolly apple aphids. Uh, if the presence is very sporadic, basically not a big problem, 
you can let it go. You can wait for the biological control. And in this case, lady beetles should take care of them. However, if it goes out of the acceptance level, then your only option left later on will be diazinal. Movento is not working well when the pressure is already high. Movento works well at the beginning of the buildup because it's systemic, it will prevent them from establishing. But Movento has not good activity you know, to reduce or kill already established heavy infestation. This is something important to remember because we have only those two products available. Uh, both of them are very effective, but both of them require a specific conditions. Movento, now. Diazinon is the rescue treatment when the problem is already very heavy. Diazinon now will work, but I would not use it because if we need them later on, we have only one application per season. So this will not be able to, and Movento will not do the job then. So those are the main things that are happening right now. Uh, we got, you know, the flight of tufted apple badmoth also happening right now. Oblique banded leaf roller started a week ago. Uh, those really will be controlled with the same sprays that you applying uh, for codling moth, oriental fruit moth, as long as you're using those Diamites, which is, you know, Altacor, Exirel, Verdeprim, Besiege, Volium, uh, Mimecto, Delegate. Or if you need to control only leaf rollers, but do not worry about CMOFM, then application of BT products, uh, Dipel, Javelin, you know, those kind of things, or even Intrepid by itself will control leaf rollers. So this is the, you know, Update in a very, very abbreviated version. Hey, that works. Uh, abbreviated version is kind of the name of the game on these. So, but hey, uh, thank you for that. And and I think folks will appreciate it. So, thank you. Thanks, Greg. Yeah, thank you. Dr. Peter, last but oh, not least. Okay, well. So there's a few things to talk about. Uh, so disease-wise, disease threats. So let's talk about disease threats at the moment. Um, fire blight's on my mind for a few reasons. One, if you have newly planted trees that are blooming right now, uh, I would strongly encourage you to get out there with a streptomycin spray or some blossom blight spray because there is a chance of rain tomorrow and they more like thunderstorms, like pop-ups. So I just kind of quickly went through Pennsylvania and, and kind of Northern Maryland, and it's anywhere from 40 to 60% chance. So who knows? Who knows what will, what tomorrow will bring? Um, but I just wanted to make sure that this was on folks' radar because I've noticed at Frax Orchards, as I was driving around the other day, we have some, um, um, Dave Bittinger uh, has planted some crabapple trees that are very much in bloom right now, and they're young. And so I mentioned to the farm manager, I said, hey, something needs to be done about those blossoms. So one, uh, you know, spraying with streptomycin is a good idea to these young trees. So you can basically clean out the blossoms. 
you probably want to be pinching off those blossoms because you want you don't want the energy to be going into making fruit this season on those young trees. Um, so if you choose to pinch off the blossoms right now, I would still recommend spraying those blossoms ahead of time because if you start pinching or start manipulating anything with those blossoms, you run the risk of spreading any potential bacteria that are around. And I guarantee there is bacteria in those blossoms. So uh, if you pinch, you know, through, you know, by your hands, that's one thing. Um, what I like to do is actually using my pruning shears and actually pruning out the blossoms that way, because it really, it's not a loss. Um, you still have some green tissue there for the for the tree to grow and etc. So, um, but but take home message right now with regards to fire blight is that because of this chance of rain this weekend, if you've got any newly planted trees that are blooming right now, you want to get out there and protect those blossoms. Um, and if, even if you are um, going to be removing those blossoms, I'd still would be spraying some kind of blossom blight management spray like streptomycin. Also, in the case of fire blight, in last week's episode, I mentioned about um, going through your orchards and pruning out fire blight. So if you need a refresher of what you need to do, prune out fire blight of how the how to review last week's episode, um, the previous episode um, that occurred, because I don't I, I would take me about 10 minutes to go through the whole fire blight spiel. So this is just I'm going to reference you to last week's episode, but you still need to be looking for fire blight. Uh, I have an orchard, a, a pink lady orchard on bud nine. Um, it is my fire blight orchard, so I'm expecting fire blight to be in there. Uh, so when I saw fire blight last week, we went through, we cut it out, and then I immediately um, right after we cut it out, we put on an apogee spray and I used a very high rate to shut the trees down, 12 ounces to the acre of apogee, which is a very high rate for young dwarf trees. But the goal is to shut the tree down so that the shoots harden off so I can limit my fire blight infection. Uh, I think I'm going to be doing another round of this because on Tuesday, the fire blight was there again. I figured as much because it had been less than a week. The apogee hadn't kicked in. I was out in the orchard yesterday. It seemed to be slowing down. I didn't see as much new fire blight, but I think I will go for another round to be able to shut the trees down to limit the shoot blight in these young trees. Um, I'm all about, you know, studying fire blight, but there can be too much of a good thing. So I'm taking extreme measures. So there is a time and a place for extreme measures uh, for young dwarfing trees. So the idea is that you you shut the trees down now, and then by midsummer, they'll grow out of this apogee and, and, and recover some of that growth. So I'm not too worried about losing any growth in those trees this year. So it's just as an FYI for folks, look for fire blight, prune it out. And then if you do see some areas where fire blight is an issue, consider a high rate of apogee to shut the trees down if you already haven't put on apogee right now. Okay, so that as far as the disease right now to be worrying about, because due to the lack of rain in, in the forecast last week, this week, and possibly even next week, we're kind of in a stasis mode with regards to the disease is that like warm, wet weather. You need that wetness for, for a lot of diseases. So we're into that range of bitter rot possibly being a problem because we're at the ideal temperatures, but we don't have rain in the forecast. So if you are switching to your bitter rot management program, I would say wait. 
uh, weight in the sense of the big chemicals, your big chemicals like Maravon, Flynn Extra, Luna Sensation, Omega Aprovia. Uh, Captan's really going to do it right now. Uh, but when we, hopefully rain will be coming back into our forecast um, because it's be getting a little dry out there for this time of year. We're actually seeing the grass even brown up. So, but when the rain comes back in, we have, we continue to have these warm temperatures because we are in the summer season now. Uh, then we'll want to switch gears as far as our strategy goes chemical wise. But right now you can be conservative because the rain's not there. Um, but with that said, if keep an eye on the forecast, the forecast seems to change daily. And so, uh, you know, next week it, we have these 40, 30% chance that might change. Um, Mother Nature seems to be quite fickle this year. So keep an eye on those, on those, on the on the weather forecast. If it changes that we're going to be having like a day or two of rain, we have the warm temperatures, then we're going to need to shift gears. Uh, so you, in addition to Captan, you may want to incorporate another heavy duty or chemical like Maravon, Luna Sensation, Flinextra, Aprovia, or Omega. Uh, for the organic folks, it's sulfur. Uh, so uh, we're done with apple scab. Marcinina, we should be on the downside of Marcinina. And again, we really haven't had Marcinina weather despite the temperatures. It's been warm, but we haven't really had any wetness the last two weeks. But I think the damage may already have been done with Marcinina as far as during the first half of May. Time will tell. Um, sooty blotch and fly speck, we're definitely in the realm of that. But again, it's dry. So you don't need to go hog wild. Right now, I would say I encourage people to spray. Captan is really kind of your go-to chemical. Um, if you've got later varieties and you have still your allotment uh, of mancozeb still available, another mancozeb spray right now may even suffice. Um, but right now, you can be conservative for your apples. Um, we've sort of seen, I think, the worst for apple scab, possibly most likely marcinina, even powdery mildew. I'm seeing a lot of primary powdery mildew out there on the shoot tips, some some blossom, um, aborted blossoms due to um, powdery mildew. But again, powdery mildew does like dry weather. So if it's established out there, you probably want to be keeping ahead of powdery mildew as well. The last two diseases I want to talk about are basically diseases that have come on my radar because people have observed them in their orchards the last couple of weeks. The first one's peach leaf curl. So peach leaf curl, uh, this was a good year for peach leaf curl in the sense we had a very, we didn't have a real quick warm up when it came to the leaves unfurling. It was, it the, seemed to take forever for the leaves to unfurl in that in the peach orchards and even bloom for that matter. Even though we did have stretches of warm weather that kind of pushed things along, we did have an extended period of cool weather, cool wet weather. And so this was great conditions for peach leaf curl. Now, as a reminder, I'm a broken record. Everyone knows, I'm sure, or remembers or, or gently needs their memory jog that to control peach leaf curl, you have to do it when all of the leaves are off the trees. So that means that's either in the fall or the early spring or late winter before bud swell. And that's because the spores exist on the twigs and buds. So you need the you need leaves off the trees in order to expose those spores in order for fungicides to work. When we have these cool springs with the slow unfurling in the leaves, the spore rolls out of the bud onto the leaf and then causes disease. So peach leaf curl looks like a puckering 
colorful puckering. Uh, it looks like a distortion uh, of the leaf, um, but often it's very colorful. The leaves can be kind of uh, looked a little mangled, twisted, distorted. That's peach leaf curl. Uh, it's very distinct. Eventually those distorted leaves will fall off. Um, actually, right now, the leaves are probably sporulating right now to actually cause more infection in the trees. Uh, there's nothing you can do once you see peach leaf curl. So sorry, folks, if you have peach leaf curl, there's nothing you can do. Uh, and I will say you may think you don't have peach leaf curl, but you do. Uh, I, I tempted fate this year and I told the farm manager in the fall, nah, don't spray any of my don't spray any of my blocks with copper or fungicide for peach leaf curl. I haven't seen peach leaf curl in 10 years. I was like, nah, save it. Go spray the other blocks. I don't care. Guess what? I got peach leaf curl this year and I have a lot of it. Uh, not severe, but it's a decent infection to the point where hmm, I probably will be treating my trees this fall when the leaves all fall off. So don't tempt fate like I did. Uh, but that's so that's one disease. So we had great conditions for the disease to pop up. It was cool, wet weather. The spores had a had a long enough period of time to cause infection on those leaves. The other disease that have come to my attention recently is blossom blast, primarily on the stone fruit like cherries. So we had cherry bloom that coincided with some frosty conditions during April and May, depending on where you were located in the state of Pennsylvania. And so blossom blast is caused by the pseudomonas bacteria. And in contrast to Erwinia, which likes really hot, wet weather, pseudomonas likes cold, wet weather. It is a cold fungus, it's, I'm sorry, a cold bacteria. It likes, it's a bacteria that likes cold weather. What it does is it takes advantage of those frosty conditions we have. And what it'll do is that it injects proteins into the plant cells, causing water to freeze at a higher temperature than what water would typically freeze at. So for example, say if water freezes at 28 degrees because water can be super cold in plants, what the bacteria will do is that it'll inject proteins called ice nucleation proteins into the cells causing those plant cells to freeze at a higher temperature to say like at 30 degrees or 29 degrees. That's a rough example. Don't quote me, but that I'm just giving you sort of a, a very crude understanding of how those ice nucleation proteins work. And so consequently, what you'll do is that you'll get cells, plant cells that are damaged. They'll leak, they'll start leaking their juices and you know their contents, and that will feed the bacteria. You'll get replication of the bacteria. It will cause browning and a little, maybe a little bit of oozing of the plant material. It can cause cankers in the wood. And in many cases, this may lead to bacterial canker. So blossom blast, which is the which is basically the, the death of the blossom due to the pseudomonas bacteria during a freeze or frost event, can eventually work its way into the wood and then cause bacterial canker. Uh, and so this year, we're seeing a little bit of this because of the frosty, cold temperatures we had that coincided with bloom in some areas. So what do you need to do? What do you need to worry about? Well, one thing is you don't need to worry anything about right now because it's warm, it's hot, and the bacteria does not like hot weather. So it's not going to progress into the tree like Erwinia is. So you don't have to worry about anything right now. 
Um, if you do have like an extensive, say, issues where you may see some cankering at the base of where the blossoms were held onto the tree, you may want to go in there and prune that out during July when we've got hot, dry conditions, because that's when the bacterial populations will be at their lowest is when it's going to be hot and dry. And actually, you know, you could maybe even do it today, if, but I doubt people have the time. But I'd caution you as far as even further into next week, because it's going to be on the cooler side. I was looking at the temps, at least for Adams County, it's going to be in the upper 40s next week for the lows. So you don't want to do it at that point. But in July, when we have really hot, we can have hot, dry conditions, that's the time to actually prune your stone fruit if you have a history of blossom blast or bacterial canker. So that's so cultural management. That's one thing you can do if you've seen issues with it. The other thing that you, you can do is to say if you didn't get a chance to do that this fall or late summer, say late September, what you'd want to do to those trees is actually spray them with a 10% lime sulfur solution. That is a very concentrated solution. It's very caustic. So be careful when you use that high rate. That's going to zap the bad bacteria that causes the blossom blast and bacterial canker. This was research done out of Oregon State um, a few years ago, and they showed that just one application of 10% lime sulfur late in, late in September, same when, even when the temperatures are around 70 degrees, that'll be enough to knock back that bacteria that could pose a threat for the following season. So in the fall, when you do it, yes, you will see some burning of the leaves, but that's okay because you're going into the end of the season. So it's okay to sort of burn the leaves. It will hasten the leaf drop at that point in late September and October. So we'll revisit that again. But as far as, as, far as what to be thinking about in the future, what to be thinking about now, um, you know, right now there's not nothing really you can do about the disease. I would, if you want to do something culturally, wait until July if you don't have time, you'll be doing an application of 10% lime sulfur in the late summer, early fall. Uh, so those are basically the high points I have about the diseases. One more thing I'll just mention is bacterial spot. Bacterial spot of peach. We are in the hot, dry conditions, at least this week. So bacterial spot slows down when it's hot and dry. But when we creep up when it's hot and humid, uh, then you want to be really be mindful about bacterial spot because we're kind of in this prime time of bacterial spot infection. So just be mindful of your conditions because they can change on a dime. Um, so just just be just be watching the weather, um, watching the weather daily, keeping um, your finger on the pulse of what the conditions are in the forecast because they can always change. So hopefully we will we'll get some rain in the forecast. But as of right now, um, you know, not that I want people to get complacent, but no one really insects. And it seems that the fruit thinning should really be a, be the priority on folks' mind right now. Awesome. Thanks, Gary. Yeah. All right. And so uh, I don't have anything else. Uh, well, actually, that's untrue. Uh, there's going to be a a engineering ag engineering field day down at freck next tuesday on the 6th i don't remember when that starts i talked about it last week i don't have that pulled up in front of me uh just wanted to remind folks of that um reach out to the fruit research center uh in case you want lunch um uh well everyone at freck might have actually froze so 
uh, I'm going to say goodbye. Thank you all so much for uh, joining me, as always. Uh, hope you're enjoying this. Best of luck with you on your thinning and your insect and disease management. 